Montani Semper Liberi. Mountaineers are always free. Those powerful words are our state's motto, but unless people can confidently say them, well, they don't hold much weight. Our guest this week is Rosemary Ketchum, the first openly trans person elected to an office in the state of West Virginia. And she's making sure everyone feels they have the freedom to be themselves in the mountain state. Yeah, we have a good back and forth conversation with Rosemary on this episode. We talk things like public policy, voting, West Virginia culture, and how the state feels like, although it has endless miles of mountains, you never feel too far away from your family and friends. So let's get to it right now. We can't wait for you all to hear this episode with someone who is fighting to make West Virginia a better place for everyone. Mace, hit the music. shine in West Virginia, but the people always do. Okay, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Rosemary Ketchum is our guest today. Good afternoon to you, Rosemary. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. Well, we kind of wanted to start with, uh, you know, you're you're very active on social media, especially Twitter, and we saw you posted a picture with uh, another West Virginia goat and Jennifer Garner. Um, you know, how, how did that come about? Was that random set up? Cause it looked like you were in Charleston, <laughs> right? Did you meet her when she was in Charleston with, uh, president or first lady Biden? Absolutely. Yeah. She, uh, we got to sit and have coffee and chit chat. Uh, and it was really exciting to, you know, get to hear her perspective, uh, on West Virginia and, uh, you know, really get to talk to the real deal, West Virginia ambassador, Jennifer Garner. It was cool. She's she's obviously awesome. We, we haven't had the chance to talk to her yet. Um, but talk to us. I mean, you, you, you've managed to, I, I think, be such like a, a light and like an inspiration to a lot of people. And I don't know if you when you set out on your journey, I mean, has it only been since the beginning of 2020? That it feels like that's been like years ago, but that's only technically like five months ago. Um, did you think that this would your pursuit of being an elected official as an openly trans person would create you know, this like persona now, I guess that you have like this public image, like, did you ever envision like, this is my life now? Like, I'm just like this person, like, like representing like <laughs> such a cool thing. Cooper, you're making me feel all kinds of things. Uh, no, um, you know, I didn't, I, I never anticipated the response to be so overwhelmingly positive. Right. I, you know, I knew that there would be a response. I didn't know what that would look like. Uh, I, I didn't run for office so that I, you know, could make history, quote unquote, right. but so that I could, you know, make a difference in my community and, you know, really work on the things um, that I cared about and have been working on, just not in the in an official capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, no, the the response has been incredible, and you know, I've you know tried to take the opportunity to do MSNBC interviews and Time Magazine mm -hmm. interviews, and and not talk about myself, but talk about the state of West Virginia because right. you know the the people who get to see the state from the outside. Unfortunately, they have a oftentimes a warped perception of who mm -hmm. we are and what we do. And I find that every time I get an opportunity to talk to national media, I have an opportunity and I feel an obligation to say, actually, this is what West Virginia is. Right. You know, these are who West Virginians are. 
And, uh, and I think it's, it's slowly working, but you know, we didn't get here overnight and it's going to take a, you know, quite some time for us to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's enlightening to hear that it's, it's not about you when these publications or anybody reaches out to you, especially after you've been elected. But even so now you do try and make sure that West Virginia is the forefront of the conversation. Right. And I don't know of any, you know, uh, I don't know of any other state where everybody cares so much about their own state. And, you know, it's so funny. People personify West Virginia as like mm-hmm. a, as like a person. You know, we care mm-hmm. about her. Right. You know, and we say you will not yes, you, so know, true. Uh, you know, talk about our state that way. Uh, and it's born out of trauma, for sure. Like it's not easy to be a West Virginian. You're, you're, you're strong, you know, by purpose, you know, living in West Virginia. But I think, you know, you know, we defend our state, you know, even when it's sometimes tough mm-hmm. uh, because we love it. And it matters so much that we, you know, support and defend, you know, the place we live. It is so true. I mean, like, I don't think the people like, I don't know any like Oklahomans, but like, I don't know if they're like <laughs> defending, like, like feel such like a sense of pride over their state, um, which it honestly does is- feel like mother nature. Like when you talk about mother nature, it's like, oh, West Virginia is mother nature. Like West Virginia mm-hmm. is who takes care of us almost. That is kind of that's a different perspective on it, I guess, but that's neat. right. And like, even look at our backgrounds. Like I have wheeling, you have the bridge, <laughs> yeah, you have yeah, a little wheeling yeah, sign, yeah, West Virginia. Yeah. Like, I don't think other states do that at right. least as much. And so <laughs> I don't know what it says about us, but we love our states so much. And I think that's, that's the best part about being a West Virginian is the kind of uh, the mutual love that so many people have for it. Mm-hmm. It, and we'll, we'll certainly get more into like West Virginia specific issues, but before you were elected to, is it it's city council, right? In Wheeling mm-hmm. uh, council, before you were doing that, you were heavily involved with still advocating for your community, advocating for work. What was that work like when you were doing it? And are you still engaged with that type of work um, now that you're, you know, working like directly in, in politics, in government? Yeah. So when I uh, graduated high school, I did, I had no idea what I was going to do. I knew I cared about issues, but I wasn't involved. I didn't have a tribe or a group of folks I was working with. And I made a, uh, an active uh, choice. I'm not a native West Virginian. I, I moved here in 2010 from Ohio, okay. um, but I made an active choice to say, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I'm going to get involved and, and work on the things I care about. And I uh, joined every board and commission and committee that would have me mm-hmm. and probably a few who didn't want me, but I was there anyway. Uh, and, you know, those were uh, organizations that focused on uh, racial justice and LGBTQ rights, of course, and campaign finance reform and, uh, you know, tax law in West Virginia, things mm-hmm. that I, I, I know are important and improve the lives of the people who live here. Uh, and that's really how I found my tribe and, and you know, really, cut my teeth as a community organizer, uh, working with some of the greats in the state of West Virginia. And ultimately it's what kind of led me on the path to public office because I found myself you know, beating my head against the wall every time we had a bill on the floor or right, yeah. something we really cared about. You know, we, they wouldn't answer the door. Um, and I thought, well, it's probably easier to be on the other side of the door. Um, so that you know we can actually make the progress that we we care so much about. So that was kind of the impetus of of my run. So was it initially work that brought you here, or was it some of those things that you just talked about? What brought you from the Buckeye State to the Mountain State initially? Well, uh, unfortunately, in uh, Ohio, my family experienced a house fire, and like many, uh, you know, low income uh, folks. We did not have a backup plan. My parents were in their, you know, mid fifties, 
And uh, my father was um, worked in a local uh, factory uh, for decades, as long as I can remember. And my mom was a waitress on and off. So, uh, you know, needless to say, we didn't have home insurance. We didn't have mm -hmm. a, you know, we did not have a backup plan. So uh, we kind of picked a point on the map. My sister had married a man in Wheeling. Uh, we really never, we definitely never lived here. We'd never been here. So, uh, you know, my parents, uh, you know, picked us up and said, Hey, you know, we're going to move to Wheeling. I was, I was like 15 and a half, 16 years old. Uh, and it was terrifying. I'll be honest, right. because as an outsider, as a young trans person, and also as a, an outsider, you have all of these misconceptions about what West Virginia is. And I thought yeah. there's no way that I can thrive as a, as a trans person in, in my community. Wow. Um, but I found that to be absolutely the opposite mm -hmm. <laughs> case. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, and I've been uh, so well received and I've had so much fun and made so many friends here in the friendly city, which is our city yep. name, which I love so much. Um, and, and so, yeah, that's what has, has made me a, a West Virginian for life, even though I, I, I wasn't born here. I think it's important too. It's like you, you spoke about, um, you, it, it's it's good that I, I always like politicians that come from a deep sense of like practicality and like uh, community work because it's like it's sometimes it's like frustrating to watch politics on the outside like the classic things like oh they just don't get it like they're just not in tune like with the issues that like we definitely like we care about and whatnot um, so I always appreciate politicians that have come from like no like I was doing like I'm doing this work in the community and like like I know what the issues are and I'm going to continue to do them um, so I always like appreciate um, hearing those perspectives and whatnot. Um, what are you, in your opinion, what are the top priorities for West Virginia um, as we want to become a state that, you know, I think there's a lot of there's newfound energy, it feels like in the state at a macro sense, like with like that, like the national uh, park thing. I mean, there, there are some different big corporations announcing like the Hyperloop, like there does feel like there's okay, like, you know, remote work, like we're pivoting toward this sort of thing. What are you would say that the top issues that we have to nail down the next, you know, one, two, three, five years to like, mm. really kind of launch us into a different path that we're currently on? That's a great question. And I think, you know, our, our state government is divided in, in three different ways. We've got our federal government, state government and municipalities. And typically, uh, those rarely work together and they're kind of siloed entities. Uh, and they typically work on very different things. You know, mm. there are federal conversations and there are state conversations and there are city or municipality, municipal conversations. And that's been a frustrating thing because I, th in my eyes, I think all of it is, it's all the same. It feels I mean, like all the same thing. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Right. We can't, you know, we can't only talk about racial justice at a federal level. It has to be a yeah. municipal conversation too. We can't only talk about, uh, you know, the retention and attraction of new residents at a federal level or state level and not have that same conversation here. And so as a local elected, I, you know, I've had some pushback from folks who say, you need to stop talking about X, Y, Z because, you know, or like tax law or whatever, because you can't do anything about it. Um, and I push back on that and I say, hey, you know, we have an opportunity as a city to say, uh, to add ourselves at a state and federal level and right. really stake our ground and say, these are things we care about. So, you know, I think, and, and we're having these active conversations every day in the city of Wheeling, we talk about broadband. How do we expect, you know, uh, people to move to the state um, to remote work if they literally can't remote work, if they can't connect mm -hmm. to high-speed broadband? It's a tough Hard sell. sell. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, we can give you all the free, you know, amenities or Ogilvy stays you want, but if they can't, you know, if they can't connect to the internet, that's a problem. So broadband is right. super key. 
um, physical infrastructure, our roads and bridges. This is the kind of non-sexy stuff that we have to consider when people move to our state. I've had folks um, you know, tell me that they cross the line from Ohio to West Virginia and they have to like squeeze the, uh, <laughs> the steering wheel because the Potholes. roads are so, yeah, the potholes. Um, that's not cute. And that's right. something we really, really need to work on. And that's a, that's a all hands on deck conversation. Um, but then there are some more nebulous uh, you know, issues that we really need to focus on that ultimately will be the most important you know, questions. How do we get people um, to move here? What is the narrative of West Virginia and how can we um, best prepare ourselves um, for moments like this that we're in? You know, mm -hmm. We are struggling to meet this moment um, and in most communities are. We didn't anticipate a pandemic. We didn't anticipate all of these you know, right. challenges. Um, but we could have been better prepared for sure. And I can't help but you know, wonder if we were better prepared, where would we be right now? Um, and this is a, a complex conversation about you know, right so. wing and left wing politics. And you know, again, as you were saying, uh, Cooper, people not having done the work or not feeling like they're connected or tied mm -hmm. into their communities, so much so that they have conversations that aren't relevant, like right. you know, particularly the trans athlete thing. Like, it, it, it wasn't relevant. Like, it's not a conversation I'm having with my constituents. And so why why on earth- It's like a made up problem, yeah. It's almost right. like- And it's, yeah, it's one of those like kind of Fox News grievances that keep being, being brought up when I'd love to talk about like, what are we doing to like, you know, pull people from a similar uh, landscapes like Colorado. West Virginia could have been the Colorado of, right. <laughs> of this, yeah. of the East, um, but we, you know, we're not there yet. So. I think those are some of the things that we uh, we have. And then, uh, you know, lastly, I have a background in mental health and I'm always thinking about our like collective mental health as a state and it's not great. And a lot of folks are experiencing this like why botherism, like why bother, you know, attempting to make a difference because it's gonna mm -hmm. be the same conversation over and over again. And new West Virginians are really engaged and refreshing and excited, you know, people who aren't from the state but who have adopted it. Those are the folks in many ways who, are, are, who have yet to really feel this uh, um, frustration and I hope they never do. Uh, but we do need to, I think, acknowledge the, um, uh, the, the frustration and, and the struggle it is to be a West Virginian right now. Um, but uh, I think as you were saying, CJ, we are really in a, in a space where people are moving forward and making a difference and uh, uh, pushing for change. And I don't think it's ever been, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a West Virginian than right now. Yeah. Um, and that's the story that we need to tell folks. What's up? This is the Mountaineer Roasting Coffee Break, and you know what I'm about to say. Code MEDIA15 gets you 15% off when you go to MountaineerRoasting.com. Cooper, you were speaking too quick. What did you just say? MountaineerRoasting.com is where you can save money on your coffee. Delicious roasted coffee in West Virginia. Ship it right to your door. They do it in like a whole bean style, or if you want it in the drip grind already ground up, finally, you can get that too. Right to your door. It's about like 15 or like 20 bucks for a premium bag of coffee, but let me save you 15% by using code MEDIA15. Uh, shout out to them for doing that for our audience here at Mountaineer Media. We appreciate that so much. All right, guys, let's get right back to the episode with Rosemary Ketchum. Yeah, and I do think, like you said, that that population question is, I mean, certainly one of the the big ones right now. And in it's how do you keep 
a the 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 younger generation here not leaving and how do you like you'd said bring people in as well do you think it's what one of the bigger issues is that social issues are at the forefront or do you think the younger people aren't necessarily as in tune with social issues or what is it that is maybe preventing uh, other than things like broadband and and maybe some misconceptions is it the 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 political issues of the division of left and right that sometimes can force people not to, to come here. And it definitely in a state where West Virginia is very heavily one-sided in terms of its uh, national political picture. Right. I, it sure is, CJ. I talked to young West Virginians, people who were born here and really tried to stick it out. But after every legislative session, they're like, I can't do it anymore. Like, right. I want to love my state. I want to grow here. I want to be able to start a small business here and feel welcome. Um, and I live in my own bubble, of course, as an LGBTQ person and as a Democrat. And I try to be aware that I, I, I have a silo to some extent and try to open that up. But, uh, but I can't help but look back at the conversations I have with people who leave the state and they say like, I, you know, I, I don't have the energy anymore to fight because <laughs> you have right. to fight yeah. as a West Virginian, at least as a progressive West Virginian, it, it feels like a fight. Um, and I used to, I used to like tell them, like, you have to stay, like you have, you have to, you know, um, stick it out and whatever. And I realized how irresponsible that is, that no one should sacrifice their own happiness just to stay in a state. Yeah. Um, and, and now I say like, if you have to leave, you should, um, but just always know that you can come back and that it is getting better. Um, and, and that, you know, uh, West Virginia is worth the fight regardless. Um, so yes, the social issues do play a huge role. People want to feel like they're protected in their state, like their state is actually moving, um, you know, forward, uh, uh without being left behind in, in so many ways. Uh, but interestingly enough, the other, um, uh, kind of infrastructure related component is housing. You know, West Virginia does not have a, an incredible uh, housing landscape um, mm. of, you know, affordable quality housing. It's either, uh, you know, falling apart and needs complete restoration um, mm -hmm. or it is, you know, well beyond what folks are uh, able to pay with a West Virginia salary. Um, so if we're able to find that balance there and we're having those conversations here in Wheeling, um, you know, then I think we can actually, uh, you know, have a much better sales pitch for why you need to move to, to our state. I like, I mean, to back to like the community aspect of it is because it feels like we're, um, I don't know, like to me, it's like, like social media, we're all in this like national dialogue of issues, right? Like I'm like, if I'm, if I get on Twitter, I can see what's going on in California and I can almost just like, if I'm spending like mental energy about what's going on in other places, like we're fighting like national, there are national conversations and that's, that, that is a place and time for us to think about like the country and national, but like, but like what I think is what people we should like revert to is like hyper localism, like think globally, act locally and working in your community that if you want to see a change be that person like you like you just what you like i'm going to join every damn board like there is like i'm going to go to this event because there's always the the phenomena that i think a lot of people um fall into it's like if there's like an emergency someone else will call 911 it's not gonna be my problem but actually it's like a, like what if like a psychology study like most then all of a sudden like no one calls 911 because we all assume someone else is gonna do it right. so i always try to tell folks to me it registers with my like entrepreneurial spirit like you know what screw it i'm doing it i'm gonna build it podcast mountaineer media i'm gonna we're gonna build it like i'm gonna do it like i'm not gonna wait on someone else to do it um so i always love like 
highlighting that because when we hear people like you say it, there's almost a sense of like, oh, well, they like those type of people that do those type of things, they just come from somewhere else. Like that's not my responsibility. But if, if you're listening, it's like, if you want to see something different, step up and be that person that tries to make it a better place. Yes. And it's one of the greatest parts about being a West Virginian is that there is a great entrepreneurial spirit here where people are actually like, no one's going to do it unless you do. Um, and I, and that's for me, a selling point, this kind of big fish in a small pond. I'm very right. aware that if I grew up in San Francisco, I would not have a right. position on city council. I'd probably not be as involved as I am. Um, but because I'm a West Virginian and part of that comes out of desperation, again, like you're looking around and nobody raises their hand to volunteer. Um, but you can make a demonstrable difference in right. a place like West Virginia by putting in um, even half the work you would elsewhere. Um, and for me, that is valuable to say, like, actually, you can climb a ladder pretty quickly and make mm -hmm. a difference because, you know, we're just a baseline right now. And anything above that is going to be a right. net positive. Right. Uh, so I, for me, when I talk to West Virginians who are doing the damn thing, who are actually boots on the ground, figuring it out, that is, that is uh, their fuel, understanding mm -hmm. that the change they make is, is incredibly valuable because unfortunately we are a shrinking state. There are fewer and fewer people right. who live here. So, you know, just, just by math, each and every person is that much more valuable. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's very complex, but I think that can mm -hmm. be an asset if we, if we swing it right. And I think we've seen when those people do go out on a ledge to try and do something and be like the, the leader of whatever it is, opening a small business or such. And th there is a, a large community support. People are willing to gather around those guys and say, hey, good for you. I I'm definitely willing to support you. And I do think like at a, a bigger scale, there is a push right now against uh, you know, box stores and like, you know, these bigger companies kind of taking in the local communities. Like nobody wants more Walmarts unless Walmart guarantees. Or how many damn Dollar Generals are in West Virginia? Yeah, we have too exactly. many damn Dollar Generals on every corner. Yeah. Nothing against I mean, Dollar General, but like. <laughs> no, and I get it because at the end of the day, jobs are jobs. And in, in a right. state like West Virginia, jobs, you know, that's what you need. But if you can get those jobs from instead of one Walmart, but you can get it through a conglomeration of 10 small businesses, what would you yeah. pick? You know, I think it's that, that is a fairly simple choice. And you, I'm sure in West Virginia, we've just seen from our doing this, you know, this podcast, people are willing to support you and willing to go out of their way to, you know, listen or maybe buy something or donate something, you know, people are definitely more willing to support you. I think that kind of rolls back into this communal support that West Virginia provides, especially right now. Uh, you know, just people are, are wanting to support something that th th your, your family, your community family is, is doing. Right. West Virginia is the biggest small town. You know, we understand that if, if my neighbor doesn't thrive, then I, I can't either. And I know I can't help but uh, you know, this past year has been really tough for all of us. Um, but when I get a chance to travel around the state, people know each other and people know what's going on and they're connected. Mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, is not, you know, if you lived in, you know, New York state or in again, California, you couldn't just like go three counties down and, and find your friends. Like that's right. tough. Uh, yeah. But in West Virginia, that happens all the time. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a great, I think, asset for us. 
Do you think, Rosemary, part of the problem with to, I mean, this is probably a problem that's consistent anywhere, but like general public probably doesn't know the nuances of like how like government works, I would say. So like, in so a lot of the times I think there's a need for like political institutions and governments and bodies to like explain, like, I think more clearly uh, the role of a citizen, the role of what it, like an active involvement could be um, or like should be like how you can affect change. I mean, cause it, uh, something just Look like with uh, we had Emily Calandrelli on for the first episode. I know, I know you know her well. I think you guys Love have interacted. Um, she is awesome. She's a rock star. But she she gave like a TEDx talk at the View where it's like if you're talking about like complex issues to people and maybe you deem them on the other side of whatever the issue is, you can't like talk down to them or like say like, well, you're just wrong for thinking. Like I think it was in the context of like coal mining. Like you can't come in yeah. into these like coal communities and be like, quit liking coal so much. Like it, it's so much more complex with that. Like you have to lead with like empathy and education. So my point in all that was like, I think a lot of people of part of like the political process just don't simply know like what they even can do or not do or like what the process is. So I'm just curious, like how much of your all's time and, and your thought process goes into like just informing people of their like of their rights and of what they can and and the change that they can create it's a great question i you know i do, do not come from a political family so i myself uh you know when i was starting in my community organizing work i didn't know how it worked i i right. was just as confused as everybody else and uh, you know, now, you know, being on the inside, seeing the gears turning, I can't imagine coming to or having a question or wanting to learn more. Uh, and, and then, you know, uh, you know, what do you do? Who do you go to? <laughs> what do you, who right. do you ask? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the, you know, voter disengagement is because of a lack of voter education. People don't know how they can get engaged or why they should be engaged. And uh, this, makes it really hard for us to recruit candidates for office. There are offices in West Virginia that run unopposed because people mm -hmm. uh, are not willing or interested or knowledgeable enough to you know, think right. they can do it. And that's really frustrating because then you get the people who you know, ju know just enough to run and, right, that's do not some, we <laughs> and, do, no. and do some harm and sometimes <laughs> irreparable. Right. So, you know, voter education, uh, you know, constituency education is everything. Um, yep. And I can't help, at, at least at a, a, you know, state and federal level, but imagine that, you know, uh, it's not on, it's not an accident that it's become so complicated and, and, you know, uh, right. the average you know community member has become so disengaged that's not accidental I, I you know right. I really believe that particularly in, in the concept of or in the context of campaign finance reform a lot of folks who are primed to run for office never do because they think this is too complicated I'm gonna screw up and go to jail and I can't afford to do it and all of these other things um, and we've done we've made that um, a reality as politicians, particularly at a state and federal level. So I think, you know, we in a place like West Virginia where all politics is really grassroots, like you could right. call up, you know, you could call up your state representative and probably get them on the phone. Like that's possible here. I think voter education is probably more possible and, and could be more effective here than just about any place. Mm. But again, we have these very polarizing figures and ideas in a place like West Virginia. But I think if we are, again, I think, as you said, Cooper, if we really hone in on the on the municipal component and say, you know, these are nonpartisan issues. I, mm -hmm. Rosemary Ketchum, I'm a nonpartisan uh, council person, so I don't have to protect or defend a political Certain party. position, yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that, I think, those are the conversations I'm excited to have. And essentially, those are the conversations that are most 
uh, you know, um, thought provoking and productive. What's up, guys? This podcast is sponsored by Mr. B Chips, the only chip that's made in West Virginia. Shout out to Mr. B and Marion Kettleson for being awesome and helping us build and grow this platform. But guys, look, mountaineermedia.org. If you're a new listener, you're like, what's that, Cooper? That's the home base for this whole enterprise. Mountaineermedia.org is a website that we built. Now we did use Squarespace. We pretty much like the old MySpace days. Remember how you like drag like music on there and you'd have to do like little HTML coding. You'd have like some type of like graphic raining down. It was pretty much that, like easy to build. That was Squarespace. They built us Mountaineermedia.org. But if you go there, that's where you can sign up for a newsletter, buy our merchandise, read our amazing blogs by I think it's up to like 13 or 14. I think we're trying to add, I want to add at least 10 more, but it look, don't tell anybody. Don't tell CJ because he'll be like, Cooper, that's way too much. I want to have like 150 bloggers blogging for Mountaineer Media one day and maybe spin off some more podcasts and really just empower people to take ownership of the conversation in West Virginia. Screw all the national headlines that tell us that we're different types of way and upset and impoverished and all these type of things we know what the hell our problems are and we're going to solve them west virginians are but we're also going to share these incredible stories of proud mountaineers because i'm sick and tired of being in a corporate setting and some of the oh, west virginia <laughs> some type of smart ass remark and i just stay in there blankly and say oh yeah what about it uh-huh well it looks like we're at the same table there jeff you know, I defend it till I die. West Virginia, blue and gold. I cut me and I bleed blue and gold. So thank you guys so much for this, listening to this rant during the middle of a fabulous episode with Rosemary Ketchum, a uh, very inspiring individual. And that's it, guys. I'll let you get right back to it. Thank you so much for the podcast support. And hey, look, give us a rating. Go on Apple Podcasts, drop a comment, drop a review, refer us to a friend. Mountaineer Roasting, thank you guys too. Let's get back to the episode now. Thank you. I do think that there is also this fear for a lot of the general public to run for a council or, or there are a couple jobs out there right now. I would say most of the country, you know, does not want to be a part of, I mean, <laughs> most police departments, I mean, yeah. I'm being you know, very serious, a politician. I think mm-hmm. there is some fear that not only are you going to get just trounced by the general public for something that you say, but even like you, you might go as far as to lose some of your friends because you were in a position of power and then when you you're expected to say something and give your opinion or or make a ruling or or whatever Mm -hmm. the situation is and then it's like okay well you know maybe that one of my friends didn't like that and now i'm down one you know so i I do think that there is this fear of you know running for office because you're going to end up having people turn against you which yeah. is like terrifying, honestly. <laughs> it's so, unfortunate. And it's not for everyone. When I first no. started, I thought everyone should run for office at least once. And now I think, no, I think yeah. <laughs> there yeah. are some people who should do it, who are really convinced they can make a difference. But again, it isn't for everybody. And if you can find a commission or a board or a committee um, that is a part of the city, uh, that might be a great first step if you want to get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say like, what, what would you recommend as far as getting involved? Like, what's the most like like uh, hardest or like or highest ROI um, return on it? Like, well, how can I spend my time most effectively in my community? Is it like showing up to like what if, is it certain events or it's like how do I would you say is the most impactful way? 
Well, it depends on what folks are interested in. For example, you know, Wheeling has an arts commission. And if somebody was like, hey, I don't want to run for council, but I want to see something change in my community. Uh, and I would love, you know, to promote art, they can get a hold of uh, people on the arts commission and apply for one of our positions. And it is, a, you know, oftentimes these are very low commitment uh, positions that, you know, offer, uh, I think, a high ROI if you're able to do some really good work. But un unfortunately, a lot of communities don't advertise vacancies. They have no idea what you know you could apply for. So my my suggestion is to call your city clerk, uh, call your you know county commission, and say, hey, I want to be involved. Uh, let's grab coffee or let's like hop on a Zoom and let me know what opportunities exist. And you would be, be thrilled. They'd probably be thrilled to hear that. Like. We need help. We need all the help we can get. Yeah, and I think you know, uh, we, we definitely want folks to be involved and you would be surprised how much um, leverage you can have on a commission or mm -hmm. a committee. And if you care about a specific issue, I imagine there is a committee, um, you know, in your city that does it. And if there isn't, uh, you can make it happen. You have the power to do that as a citizen. I think part of the problem, um, quite honestly, is that a lot of like politicians, elected officials are just so old. I think I think a lot of big people are in their 70s and 60s and 70s, quite honestly. I don't think there's enough young people um, making, you know, whether that's like decision making skills or that doesn't mean that everyone has to be like a progressive, liberal, right. like like fluid mind. That's not at all like what I think by young. It just means like right. I just think more in tune with like what is up impacting the, the current culture. I think a lot of the times, like I said, a lot of politicians are just 60, 70. By that time, your your mind is generally made up. Like you're generally at a lower, even like like your ability to make clear decisions and, and like logic, like in your thinking and processing, the time you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s is, is, you know, a lot different than when you're in your 20s, 30s and 40s. So I just, I always try to push, hey, like young people, I'm all for like young people entering the conversation. Yeah, it's kind of like that scale. Like as you get older, like you're less willing to change your opinion, right? Well, you see it in business because people, like, if you're, tw I'm 26. People, I'm a financial advisor. It's like, oh, yeah. like what? Like you, you're you're fighting that like ages. I'm like, do they really know? Like, do they? It's like, yeah, like I know my stuff, and I'm gonna I'm gonna share it. Like you know, so it's, I just think the more young people hear that, like they can push back against it and be like, oh yeah, like I'm gonna run for office or I'm gonna try to do something or um, even though I'm only you know 20 something or 30 something. Right. And I think imposter syndrome plays a huge role in that. Folks feel that they somehow, uh, you know, shouldn't do it because they're not going to be qualified or they're going to feel, they feel like a fraud for even thinking they could do it. And that's really tough. And I, again, I think the kind of old boys club mentality is, plays right, a huge sure. role in that. It's very kind of isolating. But yeah, I think, I think that's unfortunate. Interestingly enough, when I was running for office, I thought being trans would be the greatest challenge, but I had more uh, questions about my age. I was 26 when I ran, uh, <laughs> you know, can you do this? Are you prepared? Are you sure? And I was like, right. I'm 26 years old. I know people who have like families and businesses yeah. and yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah, I can yeah. do this. And so, yeah, that was, that's a huge challenge. Yeah. And we know a guy, I mean, Cooper, I think you, you know him, the Jonathan Higginbotham, right? From Putnam County. He's, uh, he's in the, the house. I've chirped him a lot. I've, I, I know him. And, I, and uh, to be fair, I'm, we're going to get him on the podcast because I've chirped him a little bit and I've pushed I back on some, some of the stuff that he says. 
you know, I, I don't, I try, I'm not a political person. And yeah. he's, I, I'm like, I feel like if anything, I'm like independent because I think there's yeah. good sides on, I think more people should kind of think of things more independently instead of like subscribing to a tribe necessarily. I yeah. get it for political reasons. We have to, I mean, the way the system works, but, but what are you saying, CJ? Cause I, I, well, he's, 24. I, yeah, he's 24. That's that, that was yeah. my point. He's 24. I mean, that's yeah. younger than nobody at 24, at 24, I was just trying to, you know, <laughs> walk and chew gum at the same time still but you know when if, if there are people that are willing to do that it goes to show that it, it doesn't matter your age if you think you've got a chance and that you think you can make a difference go do it there was another a girl when I was in college who was also about my age I don't think she's in it now but it was Craig Blair's daughter Sarah Blair yeah I think that's her name she was also very young you know I mean there there are examples of and I and I know I'm, I'm missing probably several yeah. Um, and and the, the the House and Senate, but there are examples of of youth, you know, of, of our age getting into those positions of political power. So you know, it it it's not like it it isn't possible. possible. Yeah. yeah, I just did an interview with Ixia Vega, who ran for Morgantown City Council. Yeah. She's twenty two yeah. years old, and I was like, what what a badass! Like you can yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's uh, yeah, it's not as intimidating as folks think. Yeah. It's a good way to look at it. Yeah. What's what's next for you, Rosemary? The city what's like hyperlocal the ceiling of um, wheeling. Like what is what are some of the things that you guys are working on to attract people, culture, businesses? Like well, what are some of the things that you guys are most passionate about as we come out of this pandemic? It's been a tough year for everybody anywhere. Uh, but what are some of the things that you guys are focusing on? Yeah, a couple of the gears that we are turning right now, you know, we're focused on, you know, making sure that we are an attractive place. Uh, for uh, safe, quality, and affordable housing. It's critical. We can't expect folks to move to our city if they can't live in our city. Right. You, you know, live in a hotel room for, your, for the rest of your life. Uh, so that's a focus of ours. You know, we have uh, an issue with our homeless community here in the city of Wheeling uh, that seems to be growing. And, you know, very soon we're going to announce uh, a new city position, uh, hopefully, uh, if it passes council that will focus on, you know, coordinating and supporting our homeless community uh, to find sustainable housing. Uh, so that's something that's been on our mind. Uh, and then more broadly, um, you know, we don't have a marketing plan in the city of Wheeling. Uh, we have existed for 250 years without an actual strategy. And right now we're trying to meet the moment and say, mm. how can we best you know, tell the story of Wheeling and get folks to, you know, uh, find themselves here. And, and that's extremely exciting. And, and you feel like you're on the forefront of something great. So those yeah. are a couple of things that we're, we're focused on. And, uh, and it's, there's a, there is, as you said before, there's a positive um, energy in the state and it feels like a lot of things are possible, particularly with, you know, the American rescue fan, plan funds that are mm -hmm. <laughs> coming to fruition. I mean, yeah. Uh, and, and future uh, infrastructure funds. It, it, it's, re it's a really great time um, to have a seat at the table. That's interesting. Go ahead. I was say it's interesting because like if you think of it like in terms of a business, like every business would have a marketing plan, but like a city like should also have one to like represent themselves. Like um, what well, I think it's like no surprise that Colorado has been successful, but they've also marketed the hell out of themselves as yeah, sure. an outdoor yeah. playground and a funny. Yeah. They didn't just do it and not talk about it. They did it, but also like talked about it. So it kind of a self-fulfilling thing it kind of became known. Like I think that's pretty cool that you guys are doing that. More 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 small towns should do that. Like each each little small town in West Virginia should 
kind of be their own PR, you know, kind of sure. deal. Thank you. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually going to Denver on Wednesday. It's like a pseudo work trip. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna hang out. Maybe smoke some weed. Relax. Whatever. <laughs> um, but also, like, I'm gonna try to bring back some ideas and say, right. hey, Wheeling and West Virginia can do this. We could be this incredible um, and and have a surplus. Uh, so that's going to be super fun. And that was going to be my question. Do you look at other places to try and, you know, not copy, but learn, oh. get some tips. Yeah. And, and try and implement that to, to your, your plan. Yes. I think you have to look outside and say, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel who is doing what we can. Um, and yeah, I, you know, our mayor, Mary Elliott is a, a you know, incredible um, thinker and he's, you know, often traveling and looking outward and saying, hey, you know, Greenville, South Carolina is doing this great thing. Let's consider it for wheeling. Um, and it's, it's about like being inspired. Like, uh, you know, I think, I, I hope soon that the wheeling will have like a Pinterest board of ideas and say like, <laughs> all right, like right, how yeah. can we build uh, a city that is made up of the best parts of, you know, of our great country. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's going to be a great thing to do. Wasn't Wheeling the capital? Wasn't Wheeling the capital of West Virginia like way back in like, like the twice, beginning of the state? Right? Did twice for very brief yeah. periods, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What a weird, goofy back and forth between Wheeling and Charleston. Something yeah. like very burned down, didn't it? Like something happened. I felt like something burned down in Charleston. They moved it like from Wheeling to Westport to Charleston. That was the second time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. yeah. Let me ask you totally off topic. This is more of a national question, but when it comes to our decline in population and West Virginia losing a seat in the House, a congressional spot, how important is that? I mean, how is that devastating to the future of West Virginia or is that, okay, there are over 400 representatives in the House. Losing one isn't a huge deal, but it definitely is, you know, it makes a marginal impact. It's a great question, and I've heard both arguments. Folks who are part of the supermajority, it is devastating. But Democrats are like, "Thank God, we've got one less yeah, yeah, <laughs> Republican yeah, yeah, on the floor." Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a very long, long game thinker, and it's devastating in my eyes to right. to have one. Um, you know, uh, one fewer person, yeah. uh, you know, at the Capitol uh, representing their community is really, really um, uh, unfortunate. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not something you easily get back, right? Like you lose it and you have to work your tail off to get something yeah, like back. I don't even know yeah. of a story where somebody has, you know, lost and then gained another yeah. congressional seat. So it, it doesn't bode well for the future of the state of West Virginia. It just plays into the narrative. Uh, but we are, you know, just, you know, uh, you know, being radically honest, losing population. And there's a reason for that. And I don't, I, you know, I wish a $12,000 a year was enough to get people to move to West Virginia. I think the program um, hopefully will be successful, but it's going to take more than that for us to reverse uh, the trends that we're seeing. Yeah, we're, we, we've got, I know, I know what you're about to say, but we've got Brad coming on here in a couple next of weeks. Week, yeah. Good, yeah. Good, I'm glad. Yeah. So, but that's, that's been a conversation that we've internally had, you know, this is in West Virginia program, 12 grand, come move to West Virginia. Uh, the application is open for Morgantown. I don't know if the applications opened up for Lewisburg and Shepherdstown yet. I'm not quite sure where the status of those are, but yeah. do you, do you ever foresee like this arms race almost of, Hey, West Virginia will pay you 12 grand if you move there. Well, Rhode Island will pay you five grand and give you free gas for a year. You know, <laughs> is that like a weird kind of twisted future that we might be moving into? Or is yeah. that just like 
okay, this is temporary. Let's see if it works, and then we'll reconfigure down the road. But, I mean, I like the idea, but at the same time, I think it's a slippery slope of, like, okay, well, we have to pay people to move here. I don't think that's exactly the right way to go about the future either. You know, I am, I love big ideas. I think if you have a big idea and, and you want to see if it works, you should do it. And, and I think that the Ascent program is a big idea. It's, I mean, it, it, it's not uh, radical. It, it happens elsewhere, um, but you have to strike a balance so that it doesn't feel desperate. Mm-hmm. And so that folks uh, begin to see themselves as West Virginians. And they're not just like spending yeah, a, a year right. in the state to go back home. And I think the way you do that is maybe not providing just cash, but amenities and experiences and say that this is actually what West Virginia looks like. And here's how you build a life here. And I'll say not everybody is fit to be a West Virginian. Some people want to live in San Francisco or New York City or Portland, Oregon. And that's fine. That's, that's, That's absolutely okay. But if we can message to the folks who would love to live in a state like West Virginia, uh, we have to do it in a way that is, I, I think, comprehensive and holistic and says, like, this is, these are all the parts of West Virginia that you need mm-hmm. to care about. Um, and, and, and that works for people who moved here for work. And I have friends here in the city of Wheeling who moved here to go to school. They didn't want to stay. They weren't going to stay. They're from Northern Virginia, but they made friends and they found that they loved, you know, the outdoor opportunities we had. And they just bought their first home. And they were like, actually, we're going to stay. We're going to stay in the state. Um, Yeah, yeah, exactly. So those are the, it's a long-term conversation and it's not going to happen overnight or with, you know, $12,000, but it's a start. And I'm excited that folks are willing to even put the energy into it. Yeah. To me, I mean, to me, I I don't know. I'm looking forward to talking to Brad Smith and getting his take on it. To me, it was like, what are you doing? we me i'm excited <laughs> too <laughs> we're both looking for i just was talking um you know I, I to me it's like one it gets attention which is good because it just brings more raw attention to west virginia right. um but then too like you said it's not like you know, even if the i don't know if the goal always has to be like come here stay here like make pepperoni rolls for breakfast like I, you right. know, I don't know if we have to like beat that into people's head but just hey look here's the west virginia experience and to me it's about like i always say it's like it's like honoring tradition like my grandmother was born in a coal camp like i mean she grew up with like in, in coal mines where their her their parents were coal mines and if you broke your leg or you passed away they kicked the coal family out like you know they kicked your family out of the coal house so like we can honor that. We can be prideful in that, but we do have to embrace, you know, a dynamic, diverse, inclusive, inclusive culture if we're going to be around. Um, and if we if we don't, I think, you know, unfortunately people will pass us by, but um, look, Rosemary, thank you so much. I uh, think for coming on because, you know, you, you fit the, we set out to do this podcast um, to facilitate conversations with people that were making an impact in the state, influential people that were making an impact in the state, defending West Virginia because uh, we do feel like it's a great place to live. We're biased. I got the bridge above me here on my Zoom background. <laughs> um, but it's folks like you that are making the, play, the state a better place to live. So we thank you graciously for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, CJ and Cooper. You guys are incredible. And I so appreciate the work you're doing. Um, and I'll come back anytime you'll have me. Awesome. Thank you, Rosemary. Okay, everybody, that's going to do it for this episode of the Mountaineer Media Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to Rosemary for hopping on with us. We had a fun conversation there, and special thanks to Mason Jack as well, our producer. Thanks for throwing all of this together. Hey, guys, we'll be back next week. Make sure to tune in then as well. We'll see you then. Peace.